Well, today will be the fourth and final message of our Easter series, More Than Enough. And throughout this series, we've been talking about some of the important themes that show up in the Easter story and how they connect with the greater story of God's Word. And we've also been learning about how all of God's Word ultimately points us to Jesus. Let me say that again. All of God's Word points us to Jesus. I love this quote and this explanation from Pastor Alistair Begg. He said it this way, that we find Christ in all the scriptures. In the Old Testament, he is predicted. In the Gospels, he is revealed. In Acts, he is preached. In the epistles, he is explained. And in Revelation, he is expected. So I say again, all of God's word points us to Jesus. Amen? In week one of our series, we talked about the theme of bread. Anytime the theme of bread shows up in the Bible, it's a reminder to God's people about how God will provide. God has provided for his people in the past. He'll provide for his people in the present. And his promise is that he'll provide for his people in the future. Jesus called himself the bread of life, helping his listeners understand He's the only one. He's the only one who can truly satisfy the spiritual hunger and thirst that we all have. You know, we get hungry throughout the week. Right? You get cravings for food. I think we were, you know, sitting at home last night. It was getting kind of late, and it's right on the border of is it too late to make a, you know, a run to quick trip and get some snacks or not? And I decided it wasn't too late, so we did. You, you, get, you get hungry. You get physically hungry. Well, friends, we get spiritually hungry, too. We were created with a need for God in our lives. We were created to worship. And Sunday morning, you know, isn't meant to be the only time that we are fed. It's supposed to be throughout the week. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the only one who can satisfy that spiritual hunger and thirst that that you're all created with. So that's the theme of bread. And then on Good Friday, we talked about the theme of storms. This is something we, I think we all understand And while the word storm is not directly referenced in the Easter story, what this theme represents is central to the Easter story. 1 Peter 2, verse 24 says that Jesus personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. So on the cross, Jesus experienced the ultimate separation from God, the greatest storm, so that you and I don't have to. Jesus went through that storm for you. On Resurrection Sunday, we talked about the theme of fear and faith. And I I was thinking leading up to that message, you know, I wonder how often we think of fear being a theme of the Easter story. But it's, it's when you combine it with that great theme of faith. Before the resurrection, the lives of those who followed Jesus, I think, could be categorized by fear. They were fearful. But after the resurrection, you see a change. They're they're characterized by faith. I think about Peter. You know, his last act before the crucifixion was to deny Jesus three times. His, His life leading up to that point really was categorized by fear. But something changed in his life. After the resurrection, Peter boldly stepped forward. He proclaimed Jesus to the masses. He was characterized by faith. Dwight L. Moody said it this way, talking about how the resurrection is what turns fear into faith. He said, the resurrection is the keystone of the ark on which our faith is supported. He's saying, 
The resurrection is the foundation. Without the resurrection, all of this is, is useless. In fact, Paul said this first. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. Our faith is built on the truth, the reality of the resurrection. That God is who he says he is. And the resurrection not only turns fear into faith, it also, it's also what gives us our faith meaning. It gives our lives meaning. Without the resurrection, the Bible is very clear that all of humanity would remain unforgiven under the just judgment of God and guilty because of our sins. But because of the resurrection, all of humanity now has access to God. We can be forgiven and freed from the power of sin in our lives. We can be made right in our relationship with God by his grace through faith in Jesus. Without the resurrection, Paul, exactly what he said is true, that our faith is useless. It's built, it hinges on the resurrection. Well, today we're going to wrap up this series by talking about another important theme, and that is the theme of mission the theme of mission. Let's say that word together on the count of three. One, two, three. Mission. All right, let's try it again. I didn't hear from this side very much. One, two, three. Mission. It's an important word. It's an important theme in the Easter story. It's important throughout God's word. And that's because the God of the Bible is a God who has always been on mission, and he has a mission for his people. And this mission is centered around God's plan of rescuing, redeeming all peoples to himself. Now, when you hear that word, when you hear the word mission, what comes to mind? It's more of a rhetorical question, but think about that for just a moment. What comes to mind when you hear that word mission? I think for many of us, if we're honest, uh, mission often represents something intangible, right? It's, it's work that's being done out of sight and oftentimes out of mind. And right now, we have a missions team that's currently in the Dominican Republic. We had a send-off for them last week. That was just awesome. They're connecting with ministry partners there. They're doing a lot of good work for God's kingdom. And we often think about mission in terms of something that's far away like that. It can be that, but mission is, is not just mission trips. It's not just far away. That's not the idea here. It's also easy to think about mission as a task that God only gives to a select few. You know, it's people who are uniquely called and qualified, willing to drop everything that they're doing to move to a completely new place. We often think of mission in those terms. You know, doing something bold for God, whether it's leading a ministry that affects thousands, you know, going to a country all the way across the, the globe. But friends, what if I told you that God has a mission that requires you to be used by him right where you're at and right where you live. Right? The season that you're in right now and, and the place and the time that God has placed you. As we talk about this important theme of mission, you know, leading up to this Sunday, my prayer has been that um, you would be receptive to God's word today, that you'd be receptive to his leading in your life. You would be open to how God wants to challenge you, to use you and to grow your faith this season. So if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn with me uh, to a very familiar passage today, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. 
Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. If you're a guest with us, please feel free to use your phone or your tablet, and then I always put the words up on the screen. But I want to encourage you, bring your Bible with you each week. You know, learn how to flip through the pages and find the specific places that, that we're studying. So um, a little bit of context uh, before we read this passage. At this point in Scripture, Jesus had risen from the dead. And he first appeared to Mary Magdalene and another woman by the name of Mary, whose identity is, is not completely known. We don't exactly know who she is. But what's interesting to me is that both of these women, they were among the last to leave Jesus' side when he was crucified. They were among the first to see Jesus after he had risen from the dead. Even when things couldn't have gotten any worse, these two, they stuck by Jesus' side. And we're not going to go into this today, but I think there's an important message here for us, and that is that Jesus often reveals himself to the faithful. He often reveals himself to the faithful. Well, hearing the, the good news about the resurrection, it filled these women with all kinds of emotions. The Bible says that they were frightened on one hand, uh, they were confused, but they were also filled with so much joy. It's the kind of joy that can only come from Jesus. It's the kind of joy that circumstances uh, cannot change. The Bible says they hurried away from the empty tomb. Initially, they kept this good news to themselves, but then they rushed to tell the other disciples about everything that they had witnessed, everything they'd seen. When the disciples were told about Jesus' resurrection, um, there were some mixed reactions. Some believed and they worshipped God, yet others, who were still disciples of Jesus, the Bible says they doubted. But they all went to Galilee to meet Jesus, just as they were instructed. And this is where we see the theme of mission. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you're taking notes this morning, the first truth that we're going to talk about is this, that God's mission for his church is to make disciples. God's mission for his church is to make disciples. Now, many of you will recognize this passage as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it was author Dan Spader who pointed out that the Great Commission is great because it summarizes Christ's life. It's great because it has to do with the gospel. So, in other words, it's not great because of you or me. It's not great because of anything that we can do. That's not why it's called the Great Commission. It's great because it summarizes Jesus' life. It's about him. Yet at the same time, it's an everyday commission. It's an everyday mission for every follower of Jesus for every moment of his or her life. The Great Commission is not something that we talk about and live out on Sundays and Sundays only. It's really the other six days and 23 hours throughout the rest of the week that God calls his people to be on mission, to live life on mission. You know, when someone in our lives, whether it's a friend or a family member, uh, when they're dying, they're leaving us, that's always a very difficult time. But one thing that, that is true is that their last words are always extremely important, especially if you have that opportunity to hear from them. 
Last words are important. And while these were not the last words that Jesus spoke before ascending into heaven, these were among the last set of instructions that he gave to his disciples. And this set of instructions included God's mission of rescuing the world that he loves, a mission that you and I are invited to participate in. The Great Commission, when you break it down, it really has four elements. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, One, it's the element of of going. Uh, Two, it's making disciples. Three, it's baptizing. And three, teaching. So go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And in the original Greek language, what's interesting is that only one of these elements is a verb of command or the mission that Jesus is giving us. Only one, uh, one of these. The other three are what we call participles. These words tell us how to carry out the mission. So you have the mission, and then you have the components that we engage in that help us to carry out the mission. I'll give you an illustration to maybe help you understand this a little more clearly. You know, parents, raise your hand if you're a parent with young kids in the home. We've got several young parents. You're going to understand this. If you've raised kids, if you've raised them up, you've sent them out, you're going to understand this as well. When you tell your kids... They need to clean their room. You know, you do this a dozen times a week or more, right? They, they clean it, they destroy it, they clean it, they destroy it. It's, it's a cycle. I, I don't understand it, but it's the thorn in our sides, amen? <laughs> you tell them to clean their room. We, we all know as parents that just telling them to clean their room as a general statement, as, as the mission, that doesn't always produce the results that we're looking for. If you say, hey, just, you need to go clean your room. It's a a mixed bag. You may get what you're looking for, but most times not. In order for them to clean their room correctly, they need specifics. You need to train them up in this way. They need to learn how to pick up their toys and where their toys go. They need to learn how to put their dirty laundry away so that it's not just all over the floor. They need to make their bed the right way. So you've got to give them the, the, the set of commands, the instruction, so that they can actually accomplish the mission. You know, this last weekend, we had our annual Easter egg hunt. I think that's just an awesome time. You know, our youth group helped hide the eggs. Our children's ministry, they had some crafts for people. Uh, Barb Bates single-handedly packs over 2,500 eggs. And uh, so for the next three weeks, you'll see bandages on her hands and her fingers. And, you know, that's a huge task. So thank you, Barb, for doing that. It's a great time. You know, what's what's always got me with the Easter egg hunt is how in the world our kids able to collect 2,500 eggs, put them in their basket in like 10 minutes, but it takes them two hours to clean their room. I don't understand it. <laughs> I need to have a conversation with my kids when we get home about that. So in your appeal to your kids as parents to, to clean their room, in your appeal to them, their mission, right, the end goal is to clean the room. But picking up their toys, putting away dirty laundry, making their bed, that's the specific set of instructions that you give them so that they can achieve and accomplish the mission. Does that make sense? See a couple heads nodding. It's just, you know, a blank stare like a deer in headlights this morning. This is important stuff, friends. The mission of the Great Commission is to make disciples. You'll see it um, burned into the wood in our foyer. Our mission is to make more and better disciples. That's, that's the mission, but we don't want those to just be words on a page or words that are burned into wood. It's meant to be lived out in our daily lives. In past sermons, I've shared a simple definition for what it means to be a disciple. So if our mission is to make disciples, what exactly is a disciple? A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus to live 
like Jesus. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Someone who learns from Jesus to live like Jesus. And Jesus calls us as his followers to be disciples who actually make more disciples who then in turn can learn how to make more disciples. That's how the kingdom of God grows. How we make disciples is threefold. We go, we baptize, we teach. We go, we baptize, we teach. Let's break down these elements this morning. Number two, if you're taking notes, uh, we make disciples by going. Matthew 28, verse 19, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So when Jesus told his disciples to go, he was was instructing them to go wherever the gospel is needed. And I'll help you understand that a little bit this morning. Um, That's everywhere. It's in the walls of your home. It's in your school. It's at your place of work. It's in our community, it's in our country, it's around the world. We, we go where the gospel is needed. Uh, now, the, the Greek word here for go, it's actually a phrase. We, we say go, I think we kind of understand that. But when we think of going, we, we often think of, think of stopping what we're doing, and then we start something different. When we say, you know, I need to go to the grocery store. When we stop what we're doing, we get in the car and we go. But that's not what this word means. Uh, it, it's a phrase that literally means, as you are going. And that helps us understand it completely differently. Jesus was saying, you know, as you're going about your day, as you're doing the things that you would normally do, as you go about your business, be sure to make me famous. As you go, make disciples. As you go about your day. You know, making disciples, again, was never meant to be a special event that only happens on Sunday mornings. Instead, we're called to make disciples everywhere that we go. Work, home, school, or neighborhoods. Jesus was saying, as you go about your day, walk as I walk. Do as I do. It's learning from Jesus to live like Jesus. In his commentary on Matthew 28, it was pastor and author Mark Moore who wrote, I love this. He says, simply walk with people as you walk with Jesus. And before long, they're going to meet each other. Walk with people as you walk with Jesus, and before long, they'll meet each other. So when we think about going and and the Great Commission in these terms, all of a sudden, it's not so scary because I think a lot of times we think about going, and it's like, oh, I've got to drop what I'm doing, and I've got to just go and do something different. You know, the disciples, they, they still fished for fish. They had to feed their families. They had to earn a living. But they also learned how to fish for people. And, and that learning part of it that comes a little bit later acts chapter 1 verse 8 is an amazing promise it's a reminder to us that as we go we we don't do this alone god doesn't say i'm leaving you to your own devices go and make disciples and you know come and report to me what what was accomplished you know he doesn't wipe his hands clean of that listen to this promise he says but you will receive power when the holy spirit comes upon you and you're going to be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So when someone comes to faith in Jesus, if they're, if they're truly a follower of Jesus, they're filled with God's Spirit. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit who teaches us, who convicts us, who leads our lives, oftentimes giving us the words to say, helping us remember the uh, scriptures that we've read. I have a terrible memory. But because of the Holy Spirit's work in my life, sometimes I'm able to recall things that I'm like, I have no idea how that was even possible. It's God's work in my life because I, I just I don't remember things. A couple weeks ago, I had someone ask me about a, a sermon that I preached a couple weeks back, and they said, hey, when you said this, it really got me thinking about this. 
And, and they're, they're explaining this to me, and I'm thinking, like, I've slept since then. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I, I need to go back and look at my notes because I just, you know, I'm preparing for another sermon. I have a bad memory. And sometimes that's our, our fallback. It's kind of like Moses in the Old Testament when God told him to go and uh, tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And Moses, I think he had five excuses. You know, he came up with excuse after excuse. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm not a good speaker. You know, I'm forgetful. I'm not that good looking. No one's going to listen to me. You know, stuff like that. But God reassured him. He's like, I'm, I go with you. I'm going with you. He tells his people in the New Testament, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This isn't something that you do in your own strength, with your, by your own devices. As you go about your day, walk with people as you walk with Jesus. Before long, they'll, they'll meet each other. I would say specifically, keep your eyes open to, to walk along, alongside people who, who desperately need Jesus. Uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 17 we see Jesus' example here. It says on hearing this, that Jesus said to them, is it, not, uh, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hey, what does this mean? Well, you look at Jesus' life. He spent time ministering to the kinds of people who didn't think that they had it all together. The people whose lives were kind of in shambles, that they were falling apart. He spent time with sinners, tax collectors, outcasts, the, the marginalized in society, the people whom others didn't want to love or spend time with. Nobody else cared about them. As disciples of Jesus, again, people who learn from him to live like him, we also need to have a presence in these places and around the people who others write off as lesser than. I think that's one of the great tragedies of the, of the 21st century church, of especially the church in America, is we, we kind of treat church like a country club, you know? And, and I've heard it over the years, and it breaks my heart. I've heard people even bring up, you know, how much money they give, and because they give, they should have these kind of benefits. And I'm just like, man, that's not the point. That's not the point. You know, church was never meant to be a country club. The church is meant to be the bride of Jesus, a group of people locally and around the world who, you know, at every generation are on mission for Christ. It's about Jesus. It's not about us. I was talking to two men that, that have a lot of wisdom and who I really love and appreciate, and they're just talking about how this morning uh, uh, the Apostle Peter, and you also look at Paul, you know, these were men that, um, seems like God used them in a big way, um, but they never took the credit for the work that was being done. They always pointed people back to Jesus. Um, you look at um, John the Baptist, he was that way. You know, he said that people were wondering if he was the Messiah, and he said, you know, the one that you're looking for is so much greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to you know, walk in his shoes. And disciples of Jesus, we, we take the focus off of ourselves and we put it back onto Christ. We put it onto Jesus. So we should go where the gospel is needed. And I think this happens most successfully when we're just going about our day. We're looking for ways to interact with people, to make an impact for Jesus, for you know, building relationships that help us uh, to share Christ with others. And so the question in my, in my mind you know, this week was, what, what is OCC doing this season to go? I think there are a lot of great ministries in the church that are doing some great things. And I want to highlight three of them this morning. Um, 
There's no notes for this. This is just more to celebrate and, and then to hopefully encourage others to get involved. Um, but first, I think about our student ministry. You know, they meet on Wednesday evenings right now. They, oh, they have a lesson from God's Word. They have a great group of volunteers. They play games. Um, they're learning and they're having fun. You know, and as parents, that's one of the things we ask when we drop our kids off and then we pick them up. It's like, uh, did you learn anything? Did you have fun? And if the answer to both those questions is yes, I think it's a win. They're learning and they're, they're having fun. They're growing. They're building relationships. One of the things that our youth ministry volunteers are doing behind the scenes right now is they're gearing up for summer camp at Christian Harbor Youth Camp. And uh, last year, I, I don't have the exact number. It doesn't come to mind. So if anyone knows it, you can just yell it out. But um, I know we had around a dozen or so kids, 10 or 12 kids that went to camp last year, which was the most in like several years. And this year, they're gearing up for camp. And uh, adults, if you're looking for a meaningful way to go, to be involved. I think spending a week at camp, making that kind of difference in, in, a, in a youth's life or in a child's life, that is, that is an awesome thing. You think about it on Wednesday nights, and I'm probably, I'm probably going too long for this section, but I think this is important stuff. You know, throughout the year, if the kids meet one hour a week, and say they meet, you know, 35, 40 weeks out of the year, that's just 40 hours, roughly, that they're getting together, but you spend a week at camp with our youth, I mean, you spend 24 hours with them in the first day. You know, you, you multiply that by six, that's amazing. I mean, you, that's just valuable time. And that's why we see so much life change happen in those contexts. Well, then I think about our children's ministry, and, uh, you know, Stephanie um, doesn't like to speak or to be recognized, but I'm just going to say this morning, Stephanie's doing an amazing job at helping our children's ministry not only function, but thrive. So let's, let's celebrate that this morning. <laughs> Speech. No. <laughs> she would probably stab me. <laughs> I fear for my life. <laughs> but they're doing some great things. They also meet for midweek on Wednesday nights. They, they have a lesson from God's Word. It's kind of run like a miniature VBS. You know, they have games, they have crafts, they have a lesson from, from the Bible. But right now, they're also working hard behind the scenes to get ready for for our, our week-long VBS. And I don't know if you knew this, but those volunteers who do that, they start meeting all the way back in February, and then VBS is in August. And they plan and they pray and they prep that entire time. And it's just an awesome week. It's one of our biggest outreaches of the year. And that would be a great way if you're thinking, man, I want to I go this season. I want to I you know, do something for God. I want to get in the game. That's a great way. Pretty soon we're going to have signups for that and you can volunteer to serve in some capacity. But that's a great way to leave a lasting impression on the life of a child for, for Jesus. And I think about our online ministry. Uh, Jen Summers is also part of our staff, but she helps lead our online ministry team every week. And we have over 50 people who join us online every Sunday. So if you're watching online right now, um, you know, go ahead and put some claps in the, in the chat and just celebrate that. That's, that's awesome. We have a lot of people who gather online. And as Bruce, one of our elders, shared last week about his sister, like life change is happening because of that. People are, are gathering online in that way. And, and it was never meant to be the only way that people gather. Our hope is that people start online and then they join us in person because it is better in person. Amen? It's better in person to gather. But it's a great tool. It's a great avenue. You think about it, your phone, your tablet, your computer, that really is the front door to the church these days. It's very rare, especially for a young family, to visit a church in person 
for the first time without knowing anything about the church, just, just coming. Oftentimes, they check it out online first. They listen to the sermon. They listen to the worship. They see what kind of ministries the church has. So that online ministry is, is extremely valuable. Now, if you look down at your bulletin this morning, you'll notice I've included an insert that's labeled OCC Ministries because I mentioned these three, but the reality is, is there's a lot of ministries that are doing good work in the church. These, these are different ministries. They have the ministry leader's name next to it. Uh, we've put our elders' names there. They're the spiritual leaders in our church. And then uh, also our paid staff, we've, we've put their names there. So the reason that I put that in there this week is because I want to encourage you with this. If, if you're not currently serving, if you're not currently involved in some way, I want to challenge you to pray about that. Look over this list and see if there's something that stands out to you as being a way that you can use the gifts that God has, has given you. I was so encouraged uh, to see um, the 50 plus volunteers who showed up to our volunteer appreciation weekend earlier this month. I mean, it, it was just awesome. It was a great time to celebrate together, celebrate the good things that God is, is doing. But I'll be honest with you, I want to see that number double over the next couple of years. Would you like to see that? I would love to see that number double. I'm thinking about, if we do this every year, I'm thinking about calling it our, our dream team dinner. All right, this, this is our dream team. This is the people who are serving God and, and making a lasting impact for him. It's, it's our dream team. Maybe that's a little cheesy, but I think it's kind of cool. <laughs> So I want to see that number double. If you're not currently serving on a team, pray about that. And then, you know, the first step in fulfilling God's mission of making disciples, it's, it's to go. If you're feeling led to get involved, um, be a kingdom worker, look over that list, pray about it, come and talk to someone in the office. And what we'll do is get you connected with a ministry leader. We'll help you take those first steps. So that's number one. I probably spent a little too much time on that, so we'll go through these next ones uh, pretty quickly. Number three, you know, in God's mission of making disciples, we are also commanded to baptize. So number three, we make disciples by baptizing. We make disciples by baptizing. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, uh, he says, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So whether it's from the pulpit or in our growth groups or our Sunday school classes and our conversations with people in passing, you know, we should be a church that shares the good news of Jesus wherever the gospel is needed. All right, that's, that, that's priority. But I would also say that we need to be a church that calls people to belief, to repentance, and to Christian baptism. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39 says that Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and to those far away all who have been called by the Lord our God. You know, some people look at this passage and say, well, they were baptized and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe that was just for this group, like this small group. But the, listen to the verse 39. This promise is to you. It's for your children and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. This wasn't just for this time and in this place. I, I think this is for all generations. Now, this was opening day for the church. Peter had boldly stepped forward, proclaimed 
the very first sermon, preached the first sermon on the life, ministry, and message of Jesus to the masses. And the Bible tells us that the hearts of people in listening to this, they were cut to the heart. They were moved. After hearing the good news, they actually asked Peter and the other apostles, what should we do next? All right, there, there had been nothing like this before. They didn't know what next steps to take. What should we do? And then Peter told them, repent. Repent means a turn of 180. It's recognizing that God is right and that you're wrong. It says repent. Turn to God. But believe that Jesus is who he says he is and be baptized. And we know in the New Testament that anytime someone placed their faith in Jesus, the decision was always followed, always by Christian baptism. Because in baptism, we identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as we're completely immersed under the water and then raised out of the water into new life in Christ. That's why we celebrate baptism. If someone wants to follow Jesus, it's very clear they must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They're called to repent of their sin. And repentance is not just a one-time thing. Repentance should be ongoing in our lives, daily even. They confess their belief in Jesus publicly. They're baptized into Christ by immersion. Immersion is the only method, the only mode of baptism that we see throughout the entire New Testament. This is God's plan of salvation that's given to us through his word. Paul put it this way in Romans 6 verse 4, For we died and were buried with Christ by, what's the word? Baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. So as we partner with God in his mission, and it is his mission, it's not ours, it's his. We partner with God to make disciples. We must be a church that stays faithful to his word. And Christian baptism, as it's demonstrated in the Bible, is central to our walk with Jesus. It's central to the mission of making disciples. I've had people ask me this question, um, is, is baptism essential? And really the question that they're asking is, does someone have to be baptized to be saved? And, and I'll be honest with you, I don't think that's the right question. So I take a step back and I say, is obedience to Jesus essential for salvation? And we would all agree that, that is, that's a Yes. Obedience to God's word. Obedience. The Bible says that um, he knows that we love him if we obey his commands. All right? So obedience is essential. Well, what has Christ commanded us to do? Part of following, being a follower of Jesus is to take that first step, that, that first act of obedience to be baptized into Christ. In this way, Christian baptism is essential. The water doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But this is an essential step that Jesus has commanded all people who believe to take. And today I would say if you're, if, you're, if you're kind of, you know, got one foot on one side and one on the other, you're kind of straddling that line. You're like, I haven't made that decision myself, but I know that I need to, but you just don't know. That. That's really the first step of obedience that God wants you to take, and we want to help you take that. And if you have more questions about baptism, I want to meet with you um, when it's convenient for you. We'll go through God's word, we'll read the scriptures together, and then we'll celebrate that decision with you. But that is an important step. I would argue that as a church, we cannot successfully make disciples unless we are baptizing people. Amen? Well, the last command that we're given is to teach. So we make disciples by teaching. We make disciples by teaching. We see this in the latter part of the Great Commission, but I'm going to read these two verses again. Therefore, go. Remember, as you go about your day, 
as you are going. This would be a, a natural part of your life. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So as disciples who are called to make more and better disciples, we should value the continued spiritual growth of other people. That should be important to us as a church. I'll give you another illustration this morning. When you were a kid, I'm just kind of curious, you can raise your hand. How many of you um, measured your height in some way as you grew over the years? How many of you did that? Yeah, and so, so maybe you like made marks on the wall or on your bedpost, or maybe on your door frame. That's kind of a fun thing to see. I have four boys. If they did that, our house would be marked up with all kinds of stuff. So we don't do that. We just take it as it comes. <laughs> but, and they probably think, well, you're boring, Dad. But no, I just don't want to repaint the wall a million times. But that, that's kind of a fun thing to see, right? You see how your kids grow, how they progress. We would all agree. I think every single person here would say growing physically is extremely important to the human body. Our lives, we were made to grow. It would be tragic if a baby stopped growing at three months, right? You have a baby, you stop growing at three months, you go to the doctor, the doctor, the parents, you would know that something was wrong. We expect children to grow and to mature into adulthood. And that leads us into this truth that growing spiritually is also extremely important. I would argue more important. They're meant to go together, but it's, the spiritual thing is, is, is more important. Yet we tend to, to devalue that. How, how, how many families here, you know, we check in with our spouse, we check in with our kids, and we ask the question, you know, how are you growing in your faith? You know, this is, we talked in the last month, and this is where you were at. How have you grown? I'll just be the first to admit, I, I don't do that. I need to, though. Like, that, that spiritual growth is so important. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4, 14 through 16, says, you know, as we grow, he says, then we will no longer be immature like children. Children are expected to grow. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. And he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. And that verse 16, it's our memory verse for this week. And it kind of connects all of it. It connects the going, the, the baptizing, the teaching. It's a church that, that's healthy. God's plan for our lives is that we would mature in our faith to the point, ideally, that we are effectively making disciples who can make more disciples. And as we grow in our faith, we, we become more grounded in the truths of God's word. We learn how to build our lives on God's uh, great and precious promises. We learn how to minister to others by living out what we learn. So again, I'll say the church is actually at its healthiest when people are growing in their faith and serving God with the gifts that he's given them. And I'm curious today, would that statement describe your life? Are you someone who's growing in your faith? Are you serving God with the gifts that he's given you? A gift is only a gift if it's used. You know, I think about you know, Christmas, we, we give gifts or our birthdays. I mean, how tragic would it be if someone gave you this, this precious gift, this amazing gift, something that you've wanted? And I know men, 
for the most part, we usually just go buy the gift that we want ourselves, and then it frustrates our wives, and they don't know what to get us. That's, maybe that's just my house, but, you know, I have a birthday coming up, and she's like, you know, what do you want? I know you're just going to get it for yourself, and that's beside the point. <laughs> How tragic would it be, though, if someone, you know, gives you a gift, and you leave it wrapped? You don't unwrap it. You don't use it for its intended purpose. And God, as a follower of Jesus, has given you a gift so that you can help the church grow and to be strengthened. And how tragic is it if you leave it wrapped, it's put away in a corner somewhere, and it never gets used. When that happens, the Apostle Paul describes the church as being unhealthy. It's, it's, it's handicapped. We can't be the church that God wants us to be if, if everybody is not in the game, if they're not using their gifts for God. So the church is healthy when people are growing, when they're serving. So I believe there's a lot of things that can help us grow in this life. We grow when we spend time in God's Word. We, we learn how to navigate the Bible and how to read it and understand it and apply it. We, we grow when we make prayer our first line of offense and not our last line of defense. We grow when we gather with our church family. I saw this, this image this weekend um, I don't usually comment on things like this you know, on Facebook and stuff, but someone just posted an image and it was a bunch of uh, sheep or lambs and they were gathered together and a little title above it said, you know, the body of Christ gathering and then you had one kind of lone sheep kind of out here and uh, above that person's head it just said, you know, I don't need the church, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian and they were by themselves and then uh, you have this depiction or this image of Satan and who do you think he's going after? going after the lone sheep. It's going after the one that thinks they can make it on their own. You know, part of how we not only grow in our faith and live the life that God wants us to live, but um, how we serve God and, and advance the kingdom is we do it together. You know, that, that's kind of like that question. Do you have to be baptized to be saved? People say, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? Do you really want to live that way? Do you really want to live life apart from other believers growing in the context of biblical community? You can't do it. If you're a new believer, I think a good place to start when it comes to your own spiritual growth is to simply look at what the early Christians did in, in the first century. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this, this is immediately following Peter's sermon. You know, people respond in repentance and belief and they're baptized. And then here's what it says. All the believers uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, so you know, fellowship is not isolation. I can tell you that. They didn't devote themselves to being alone and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So this is how the early church spent their time. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. That means they valued the teaching and the application of God's word. They devoted themselves to fellowship. They came together frequently, you know, often as authentic biblical community. They valued sharing meals together. Food brings people together. Food is a good thing. They also value the Lord's Supper and prayer. All, all of these things are marks of what makes a healthy church. So the, the teaching component of the Great Commission um, really is so much more than just listening to a sermon on Sunday. It's about valuing the spiritual growth of all believers, teaching uh, new believers, more mature believers, how to live like Jesus. And while biblical preaching is a mark of a healthy church, most of the learning, most of the teaching and the growing happens outside of these walls on Sunday morning. It happens the other six days and 23 hours throughout the week. It happens as you participate in groups, 
serve on teams, as you do life together outside these walls. I've said it many times that, that this is a monologue. You're participating because you're here, but you can't really respond. I guess you could. We're a little more laid back here, but that dialogue happens in groups, and that's why community is so important. I think a lot of people in the church today believe that the mission of making disciples is over when a person is drying off after they've been baptized. And maybe we don't say it like that, but our actions would say otherwise. And friends, this couldn't be further from the truth. Discipling someone in their walk with Christ is meant to happen throughout their entire life. Really, baptism is just the beginning. We celebrate when someone is baptized, but that's the beginning of their new life in Christ. And so today, I want to encourage you to remember the, what I'm going to call the three hows behind the mission that Jesus has invited us into. The hows behind God's mission of making disciples. And so the first is just is, is to go. We go wherever the gospel is needed. Remember, as you are going about your day, remember to make Jesus famous. And as you grow in your faith, I think that, that gets a little bit more specific in how you're interacting with people. Baptize. We call people to belief to repentance and Christian baptism. This is the first step of obedience in a person's faith journey. And we teach. Our our job of making disciples, it doesn't stop when a person is drying off after they've been baptized. We help people grow in their walk with Christ by teaching them what it means to live for Jesus throughout their entire life at every age and every stage. And so again, this mission is a tangible one. Not because of anything that we can do, but because of God. It's because of Jesus. And it was given to the church with you in mind. And if you're sitting there today thinking, you know, I I just don't know what I have to offer. I don't know what I could do to to be involved. Let me just say that that's not God whispering in your ear. That's not God convicting you. That's Satan. Because God has created you for a purpose. He has called you for such a time as this. God doesn't want anyone sitting on the sidelines going through life as a spectator. I watched one of my favorite movies last night. Sometimes I get in these weird funks and uh, I, you know, I can't sleep or whatever and I'm, Faith was going to sleep and um, I decided to watch the movie Rudy last night. This is a great movie. That movie's awesome. And uh, I probably stayed up too late and uh, I'm watching Rudy and you know, here's a guy who didn't, let his size, his strength, lack of strength, you know, lack of size. Um, he didn't allow those things to affect him. He didn't allow the opinions of others to affect him, at least not for very long. He had a goal in mind, and he did everything that he could to, to reach that goal. And, and God is saying, here's the goal, here's the mission for my church, is to make disciples, and we should be striving and seeking him and relying on him so that we can achieve the goal. And you kind of follow Rudy's life, but he starts at a smaller kind of community college. You know, he works really hard. He doesn't get, make the grades at first to get in. I think it's two years it takes him. And then he finally makes it to, to Notre Dame. And I don't think that's a favorite school around here probably. But uh, when I was in Indiana, it was. But uh, he, he makes it to Notre Dame. and They've got this rich history. And all he wants to do is just like serve the team, you know. And it really is this great picture in this act of, of service and it wasn't until the very end, you know, you, you couldn't really make the case that he was strong enough or tall enough to be out on the field with the other players. 
what happened is he won over the hearts of the, the people. He won over the hearts of the players because he lived a life of service to them. He made sure that they were equipped every single week so that they could go out and, and to accomplish the goal, to win the game. And to me, while that's not 100% probably the best illustration, and it, it's more off the cuff, I think that's a great reminder about how God doesn't want any one of us sitting on the sidelines. And if we're sitting on the sidelines because we think we're not smart enough or we can't speak very well or others won't like us or whatever it is, that, that is not God, that's not his truth telling that to you. That's, that's Satan whispering that lie into your ear. God has equipped you and he is with you to be the person that he's created you to be. So it's a tangible mission. He wants you to get in the game to actively participate. So in closing, how do, you, how do you take that step? You know, that can be a scary one. The step from, you know, spectator to participant. How do you take that step? Well, first, pray about it. If you don't know what to pray, just, just say, God, how do you want to use me here at OCC? How do you want to use me? Second, I would encourage you to contact a ministry leader. You have that list and you call the church office. We'll, we'll get you connected with someone, whether it's youth, children's, missions, uh, worship team, our greeting team, our fellowship team, education. I mean, the list goes on and on. And then finally, let me say this. Allow God to use you right where you're at. Allow God to use you right where you're at. You're, you're at. You don't have to become the right kind of person before God can use you. In fact, it's often through serving that God molds and changes a person from the inside out. You just have to be willing to say yes. You just have to be teachable. You just have to take the first step. So the charge for us today is this, to not forget what our mission is. Right? The mission is to make more and better disciples. We need to memorize that, but we need to live it out in everything that we do. We don't want to lose sight of that. There, there is a thing called mission drift. When we get so focused on things that don't matter that we lose focus of the thing that does, we lose sight of our mission. We've got to come back to our mission. If you're already serving, you know, that's awesome. We celebrate that. Keep allowing God to use you in that way. But if, if you're not, it's time to get in the game. Allow God to use you right where you're at to make a difference in the lives of others for him. Let's make more and better disciples. Amen.